Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the metaverse. What we do is we cover the most pressing metaverse topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this amazing industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the love, the five-star ratings and reviews. If you haven't yet, share the Meta Business Podcast with your friends, your family, your colleagues. Leave a five-star rating and review. Or if you don't want to do any of the above, at least hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast. We really appreciate it. It helps others to find the show. Jeff, how are you doing this week? Good. That felt like a new a new intro. Did we change that? No, it's, it's the same really? intro. Oh, I, I do it. Usually... I, I literally do it almost like three times a week with slight variations between each one. And you, as you know, now I don't do it with a script and I no, do it live no. every time. For whatever reason, I never thought I'd heard you say the official podcast metaverse. I was going to say, are we, we're now spot, you know, we're, we're now sponsored by the capital. Capital Well, our sister podcast business of esports podcast has always been the official podcast of esports. Everyone knows it that way. Um, and no reason why this shouldn't be the official podcast of the metaverse. Great. <laughs> how, was, how was your week? It was good. It's good. Yeah. It's, uh, always busy here. You know, back was traveling last week, so it's good to be, uh, good to be back in the, the home studio here. I feel like we have such a busy week of news. Like maybe not that we've, we've had bigger weeks in terms of one story being bigger, but we have like a bevy of stories. It feels like. Too many. I don't know if we're going to get to them all. We're going to try. Um, and so let me introduce the, the first. Let's do the first two stories sort of together. And I think, you know, you mentioned you were traveling. This is an interesting one in terms of getting into the metaverse, right? Like we always, we've been talking a lot about the metaverse and what's there once you're there and, you know, what it should be and what it's not. And um, but I think we've sort of hit very little on how you actually get there, right? Like how do we access this virtual world? And there's two articles here, two technologies that I think are really interesting. Um, the first one here, this is from venture beat. And the headline is Mojo vision unveils latest augmented reality contact lens prototype. There's this very cool uh, looking uh, contact lens with what looks like circuitry and stuff inside of it. Uh, obviously if you're listening to this, you can't see it. So I'm trying to describe it here. Uh, but the smart, what they call a smart contact lens is going to bring invisible computing to life. The company believes, uh, it's a, they've reached this sort of critical milestone with this prototype and it's going to enable what they call like innovation at the intersection of smartphones, AR, VR, smart wearables, health tech, et cetera. So it's going to have a display in it. Um, initially the target markets for people with like poor vision, but obviously we could see something like this developing into an on-ramp, a, a very uh, seamless on-ramp to potentially a virtual world where you don't have to wear something, you know, big clunky headset on your face. 
I will put this next to the next story, which is Alibaba in the news leading a $60 million funding round into AR glasses maker Enreal. And obviously that's going to go towards R and D. They're a Chinese uh, company, or at least most, I think they're a Canadian company originally. And, um, but they release most of their products in China first. They have two products today, the light or the air. There's a picture here. They're a little bit clunky. They sort of look like clunky. Uh, what do you call those sports glasses? Uh, like Oakley style um, glasses. And uh, they, they also think they're going to be building sort of the, the on ramps to, you know, great mixed reality experiences with these sort of cool, more seamless looking glasses. Now, you know, we, like I said, we've spent a lot of time talking about the metaverse itself. What do you make of new developments, Jeff, around the on-ramps to the metaverse? And what do you think will win the day? Like if you had to, if you had a crystal ball here. And I mean, the first one is super exciting. And I wonder, we, we had talked about a similar company a bunch of episodes back. I wonder if it actually is the same one. Um, that was doing kind of wearable, uh, you know, eye technology, although it seemed like they were, uh, you know, way earlier stage. This one, they have a prototype. So that would be very curious to uh, to actually try and see what, you know, whether the reality is is kind of as much as it's sold. Um, the one thing I thought was funny, just as a little bit of an aside, you said the target market was to start with people with bad vision. Yeah. It's like a massively small, you know, vision, vision pun intended. When you're thinking about what the what they're going after, creating the metaverse, wearable technology, and then it's like, oh, actually, it's just a, a contact lens. So <laughs> that that just felt funny to me um, there. But you know, this 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 one is super interesting. I think we've we've gone back and forth on this podcast, and I know a lot of kind of thought leaders around the metaverse have gone back and forth whether you know the metaverse needs to be VR, whether it will be us wearing some sort of wearable, like how we will enter. The metaverse, if you will, and I've gone back and forth, you know, personally as well. I do think, you know, for us to get to like the capital T, capital M metaverse that we always sort of talk about, I do think it's going to have to be some sort of virtual reality. You know, you're you're going to have have physical feel, physical presence in a virtual world, and I'm not sure that you can get that with the current platforms that we have, the Roblox, the Fortnite of the world. I mean, I don't know if you. obviously like the closest we come today are the good vr headsets right and let's put aside other senses right like let's put aside smell and taste and like movement and you know like sensation in your body because that's solved by other hardware right potentially so like put park that for the moment how do we solve like making your vision and and what you're seeing immersive to the point where you forget potentially you're in a virtual world or you can spend most of your your awake life in a virtual world right the closest we come today are these vr headsets but my question is how immersive and invasive do the hardware solutions become over time and where what what is the end game right because i can see the current crop of VR heads, VR headsets getting thinner and lighter, right? And maybe that look starts to look and feel more like an Enreal pair of glasses, right? Where you can't really tell you're wearing anything other than maybe a, a, a slightly thicker pair of sunglasses, right? That I could see it as a, a potential end game. 
But I could be convinced that a contact lens with a whole bunch of intelligence inside of it and a microprocessor and battery and screen and like all the things that Mojo is putting up, putting in this contact lens, I could see that as a potential end game. I think the ultimate end game, and it's not clear if we ever get, if we get to this by choice or otherwise, um, is an implant, right? Because the fastest way to immerse your, all your senses, not just your vision is to just control the electrical signals going to your brain. And that solves for potentially smell and other things as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a point where society sort of pushes back and says that's too far. Um, or, or if we're just seeing sort of this evolution happen over time, VR headsets, contact lenses, eventually implants. I, I don't know. I'm curious where you think implants, it ends. I mean, implants is interesting. I think if we're talking, you know, 30 years, 50 years, then I, I could see that. There's always with any of these things clearly going to be a an adoption curve. Uh, you know, do I see people implanting themselves with these sort of VR devices and, and entering the metaverse anytime really soon? No. Um, might we get some early prototypes and stuff like that in the next decade? I think I could kind of buy that. But if we're talking about a large percentage of people kind of implanting themselves with a, a sort of psychedelic chip if you will I, I think we're a long way away from that mainstream adoption no a contact lens is a nice medium right it's it's oh, not invasive absolutely. but it's also like the probably the most seamless kind of experience you could imagine the, the what i think an implant solves for though is other senses right even with a contact lens you can't solve for smell you can't solve for taste you can't solve for some of these other things, which an implant in theory could. Um, Another thing an implant, or sorry, a contact lens can do is, is opens up a lot more AR versus VR, which I think, true. you know, it, it, maybe it gets us away from kind of the metaverse a little bit, but I think it, it creates a lot of really interesting things that you could do in the physical world with, you know, gamifying different things that you, know, you, you see on your mind's eye um, as you're out in the world. Um, Jeff, I want to move on because we've got a lot to cover here. And I think there's two stories here again. I want to put them back to back because it's a, I think this will be a never ending debate on this podcast and I'm sure in other forums. Uh, but the headline here, again, another venture beat article says games should promote play and earn instead of play to earn. Now, this is not the first time I've heard this argument, right? Like the panel I was on, someone used this argument with me, uh, you know, Spoiler alert, I, I disagreed. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they talk about how they give a little bit of history of MMOs and how, you know, people used to farm loot there and sell them in the real world for dollars. And, you know, this is really about meeting gamers where they live. And play to earn has had this rocky start. People have, you know, this misconception about it. Um, and one way to make this palatable for gamers is instead of play to earn may adopt this play and earn philosophy when according to the author here it says what that means is making virtual items tied to tokens and nfts a nice bonus instead of the objective fundamentally gamers want to complete a game not collect loot boxes or become day traders so interesting argument here for play and earn versus play to earn i want to put this next to 
another article because I want to give you sort of a trio of terms to, to argue over here. This is from CoinDesk, and they're talking about a capital raise. So Defiance Capital and Delphi Digital co-led a $6 million round for Crypto Raiders, which is an NFT game. But this NFT game, if they're a role-playing game, they prefer the term play to own over play to earn. So let me just summarize here without going into too much detail on any of these articles. Um, it seems everyone now is allergic to play to earn, right? And I think if that allergy came on very fast because no one wants to be associated with play to earn anymore, even though it was maybe the hottest thing literally just, you know, a few months ago. <laughs> Um, and now we're all, everyone's trying to reframe it. Okay. And one of the proposed wordings here is play and earn. And then the other proposed wording here is play to own. Um, I'm not sure if play and earn or play to own are drastically different, uh, but so curious your thoughts on these well, three kind of, I have some thoughts on this cause I actually, and, and I'm, 99% sure that the you know the makers of this crypto raiders game did not read my LinkedIn post a month ago and, and copy <laughs> me. But if they did, I'd be super honored because I wrote this on LinkedIn a month ago and I think you actually had had the exact same take. I frankly probably copied you because you're much smarter than I am. But I'll read what they said. The Web3 gaming ecosystem is losing the PR battle with traditional gaming. I've seen a lot of takes about play to earn versus play ender. In my opinion, this distinction isn't the problem. The problem is the focus on earning. Earning creates a connotation that the gamer is working, doing a job. I think the space would be well served to focus on ownership rather than earning potential. Blockchain gaming enables players to have real ownership over the in-game items they purchase. The current focus on earning creates a bad taste in gamers' mouths and invites needless speculation. This is unsustainable. Let's move to play and own. Pretty much nailed it. That you know. I mean, I still agree. I was with you like eighty percent of the way, and it it was it was the my the take I made like that that was pretty much my take at at the you know the crypto conference I spoke at uh, on play to earn gaming specifically. Now you used play and own a a fourth (laughs) variation. (laughs) Um, The ownership is not the point of playing. I think that was like you're playing. Okay, but what's the difference between so i was with you completely you had me right with you gamers don't want to earn feels like a job right you're going to get pushback whether it's to earn or end earn right all feels about the same um but how is ownership different than earning because you earn to own no not necessarily right like owning like like, like why what's the point of owning if it has no value I own plenty of things that have no value. I collect pens, for example. I own those pens. They <laughs> definitely have no value, but I own them. I theoretically could sell them. I theoretically could throw them away. Like I think that's the important thing about it is the distinction. I actually think it is an important distinction because it's like when you're talking about earning, like I go to work every day to earn money, right? Ownership is, is, is different. You can own the assets and never think about them in a monetary sense. It could just be, hey, I own them and I can eventually, hopefully, be able to, there'll be interoperability so I can bring them to another game. 
So I might not, you know, I might own the gun in Call of Duty and bring it to Battlefield. I know that example almost certainly never actually worked. But hypothetically, I never have to sell that gun, it's just that I own it and I can bring it to the next game. I mean, I isn't that a, basically just gaming then? Like, in every game I play, there I have items in my inventory, right? Whether it's WoW or Counter-Strike or Call of Duty or Fortnite or Apex or, right? I, I own things in all those games. Like, if it's not about the, the monetary value of those things, it's sort of just gaming then. Well, I, I mean, number one, I hope that is the case. Like, I think for this to be sustainable, it should be about gaming, number one. So you're, you're probably right. I think the interoperability piece is where it's different, right? You may own them, but Activision could one day just come and shut down the servers for WoW and everything you bought. You don't really own it. You're, you're effectively renting it. Um, so I think there is that little bit of distinction between the current state. Yeah. I don't know why. I feel like this whole, the whole community loves getting lost in this intellectual argument of like, what? <laughs> Why is it at what point did play not become good enough? And we had to put two words after it, right? Like, and we we're arguing, is it to own, to earn and earn and own to this, to that? Like, I mean, it would, play should just have been good enough. I mean, it's been play good enough fun. for a long time. It, it should continue to be good enough. And, and then my pushback always, and this is my take on it. It's not that hot of a take anymore is, why can't we find other ways to create value with blockchain or NFTs or things like that, that don't have to do with owning, earning like any of the above, right. Or any other verb people want to put after play. Um, I just feel like we're all going to agree play to own is better. And then six months from now, everyone's going to be surprised when gamers don't want to play to own, right. Like, and, and are going to push back. Uh, it just it, none of it feels it feels real authentic to me uh, from a gamer standpoint. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it feels like a little bit of a useless argument because anything that takes away from the play feels like the game is worse in some small way. And if it can't be better in an obvious way, it's all going to fail now. I'm a big proponent of how do we figure out how to marry blockchain or NFTs with gaming, right? I'm a huge fan of this. I, I think it could be a massive piece of the industry, but I, I, I continuously challenge myself and others to figure out how are we adding value to gamers beyond just words, right? Because the words feel fancy for nothing uh, and the arguments sort of feel academic for nothing. I guess one thing I'm thinking, one just maybe other distinction and, and maybe. I don't even know if this is entirely accurate, but th there's a difference between owning the in-game items versus earning in-game currency. Like I know with Axie, a big part of it is like you're playing the game to earn yeah. that smooth love potion SLP that you can then trade for fiat versus like, hey, I, I bought a sword. I now own the sword. It's pretty cool to own the sword. I could sell it. I could put it in a different game. Like that's cool versus like, hey, I'm going to use the sword. I'm going to kill a monster there's going to be a bunch of gold that shoots out and that gold is worth money. And I'm just going to do it endlessly all day. Like th those are two different. Companies. Yeah. Uh, like you're right. And so maybe owns a little bit better, but the, the and earn or to earn to me 
are equally bad, like literally yeah. equally bad. And, yeah, and I always come back. On, all these people, these influence, like these people on Twitter, and they, they say this take, like this whole article, and they say it as if it's like, oh my god, you had this crazy <laughs> thought, and it's like you fixed it. You fixed it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. like we changed the two in the yeah. hand. Yeah, it's yeah. Like gamers totally get it now. Like, oh my god, we just have to change that one word, and everything's fixed. Makes me so okay. angry. And you know, my counter is always just like replace the play with some traditional sport, so it's not a video game, and realize how ridiculous this argument is. Right? Like, I'm gonna play basketball to earn versus play basketball and earn. Like, it, it's not gonna change how many people want to play basketball. Like, it will literally have no impact. Um, it's, it's a silly distinction and, um, it's, it's, it feels like a crutch, right? Cause, cause then people can avoid the real problem, which is how do we figure out how to dr- drive real benefit to the gamer? Um, you mentioned Axie infinity, Jeff, and I think it's a great segue to the next story, Axie infinity in the news. And, you know, maybe this is the biggest, you know, crypto nft metaverse web3 story this week um and and it's a huge hack this is again venturebeat and the article the headline is hackers steal 620 million in ethereum and dollars from axie infinity maker sky mavis's ronin network now without getting too much into the details here i'll just give you the high level they stole 173,600 uh ethereum worth 594 million dollars and 25.5 million US dollars. So for a total of 620 million, um, what was hacked was their layer two network called the Ronin network. And basically they were able to take control. There's nine nodes that control this network and they were able to take control of a majority of them, which gave them control of the whole network. So five of the nodes essentially were compromised out of the nine. uh, And that allowed the hackers to take control of the network and to, um, fake essentially transactions. So, uh, have transactions executed on the network that were not authorized, obviously. So, um, huge hack, huge amount of dollars stolen. Um, obviously your thoughts on this, but like, where does a company like Axie infinity go from here? I'm assuming these are player losses, not just company losses. Like, are they going to have to cough up hundreds of millions of dollars to reimburse players also? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very interesting and it really get there's so much here, like at the intersection of gaming and crypto and some of it, I don't even know if I'm necessarily qualified to even, you know, get in, in depth into like, for example, to answer your last question, I don't know if it's player losses or if it's, I, I know there is a governance token. Right, so the players of the game can earn this. I think it's ROA, the Ronin token, um, and then there's like a a DAO, the Axie DAO. That's one of the validators. So I don't know if it's the DAO that lost money. I don't know if it's the company's governance tokens, which are partially owned by Sky Mavis, the company that owns Axie Infinity, and partially by the community. Um, you know, we're we're pulling up another article here. So for people who are watching, you know, it looks like the the, the Ronin governance token. So RON you know, was down 40%, you know, on this news. So obviously that's a massive hit. I think, I think the biggest takeaway for me, um, it, it's, it's a disaster for Sky Mavis. I mean, they've already been facing, I would say, a lot of criticism around Axie. You know, Axie, if we rewind to kind of like over the last summer, I think was sort of the bell of the ball 
because it was kind of the first play to earn game that really went. I use mainstream with kind of quotes because it didn't really go mainstream. It was Not kind mainstream, of the first but that, yeah, first one hit, that really, hit some kind of significant player base. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, but then I think p- people pretty quickly realize, you know, recognized a lot of the inherent flaws in the model and how it, you know, kind of relied on a little bit of a Ponzi mechanic and and sort of like it wasn't really sustainable. So it's taken a fair amount of heat, and they've had some changes that they're looking to make to, to, to get away from that. But I think a big part of the reason why Sky Mavis was able to raise so much money was this this Ronin chain, and kind of the I think Ronin has a wallet as well. And it was a little bit how when people talk about Epic and Fortnite, they're like, well, Fortnite may be declining, but like people are buying, investors are buying Epic because of the Unreal Engine or the store. Like Ronin, I think, was that part of the story where it was like, hey, other companies, other game companies are going to build on Ronin as this L2 chain. And it's this infrastructure play. It's more than just Axie Infinity. And so the fact that Ronin was kind of the part of the company that, you know, obviously had this had this hack, I think is a huge issue for Guy Mavis because it, it, it clearly shows that you know, the chain had vulnerability. Um, and what will happen here, I think it'll be interesting to see whether they're able to recover it. I know in the history of crypto, there's been a lot of these sort of hacks where sometimes they're able to, to kind of do something to get the money back. Um, other times, obviously not. So, you know, it'll be interesting to follow. Obviously, we wish Sky Mavis the best of luck and, and really for the industry because, you know, we're both very bullish on kind of this this industry and we don't want, you know, something like this to be a black mark, which currently right now I think it is. Like how, how sustainable can this be if the, the biggest behemoth out there just lost, you know, over half a billion dollars, you know, in thin air. That's my, it's take. a huge number, like mind boggling, mind boggling in terms of the size of the number. I, I think what has always worried me is, um, as the complexity of these platforms increase it, it like, here's my take. Sometimes it feels like these platforms are needlessly complex and they're needlessly complex because, um, it, you know, it, it, it confers some benefit, some small benefit to the user, or it makes it sound more interesting as a platform to investors or whatever the reasoning is. I find some of these plays and I'm not saying specifically with Axie infinity here, but needlessly complex. And when you have complexity, it's hard to protect, right? Like it, uh, any system that has many, many uh, pieces to it and entry points and ways to get in and ways to hack is, is difficult to secure. And if a company that has, that is sort of as mature as a sky Mavis, right? Probably more mature than other players in the space by a significant margin. Again, not a, it's not, it's not, we're not talking about a company that's been around for the last 20 years, but you know, they've raised quite a bit of money. They've been, they've had success. You would think their platform would be very secure. I just think part of the challenge is the massive complexity of these platforms make them very, very, very difficult to secure. And when you're talking about this large of a prize, you're going to have people trying to get in, right? Like it's just, this is just the reality of it. And so I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't know if we, we need to be simplifying some of these platforms and how they operate. We need you know, we need a whole crop of companies that are all about security around, you know, uh, some of these play to earn games. I, I don't know. I suspect this will not be the, this is not the first, this is not the last big hack we're going to see. 
Um, but I think it's something that is doesn't get enough attention and, and really needs to, right? Like this needs to be fixed fast or that whole segment of that gaming play to earn gaming space. I mean, if I personally lost money here, what's the chance I come back to Axie Infinity? Probably pretty, pretty low. Probably pretty low. Um, and I mean, it, I think this gets to the heart of one of the, you know, I think the term for it is the blockchain trilemma. And it's, it's basically this concept of, you know, there's, there's three things. You, you have decentralization, scalability, and, and security. And you can really pick two of the three. And I think with Ronin, you know, they kind of picked scalability and uh, decentralization and obviously security was, was an issue. Uh, that's an interesting, I had not, I've not heard that term and I think it's an interesting one, Jeff. I mean, uh, and maybe that's the case, right? Maybe no one will be able to pick all three. I, I can guarantee more will be picking security after news stories like that. Um, let's move on. Uh, this last story I think is super interesting you know, it's a topic we've touched on before, uh, but the take here and the article here was particularly interesting. And the headline is, I went to Fashion Week in the Metaverse. Now, it's a long article. I'm not going to recap everything. Um, but they talk about, you know, the Metaverse in general. They talk about some of the stores they went to, like Dolce & Gabbana in Decentraland. They talk about, uh, you know, how they entered the Metaverse. Uh, although this author, she says... She was using her decade-old MacBook Air, which I probably could have advised was the wrong piece of hardware to be doing this to begin with. You know, making her avatar, the problems with the graphics, um, an after party that she went to, you know, some of the stores in the luxury district in Decentraland, inside some of the stores, there's some images here. But in general, talked about her experience going to Fashion Week and her experience interacting with both the events and the static, call it, um, presence that many brands now have in Decentraland specifically. Um, <laughs> I'll just read this one thing. It says, Decentraland's event has been described as the first inclusive fashion week, offering a front row seat to anyone with a crypto wallet. But it took two Mac computers and a Dell laptop for me to finally enter Decentraland. And even then, my sessions lasted 15 minutes at a time before crashing. Now, this is definitely user error, right? Because... Uh, you don't play, you know, uh, graphically intensive games on a decade old MacBook or a Dell laptop. Uh, but they concluded by saying glitches aside, the experience diff did offer a window into a fascinating future worthy of exploration. The ambition behind Decentraland's first fashion week was cause for celebration. And if fashion is about newness and novelty, then the metaverse was the most on vogue venue in town. Um, what, what did you make of this article? I know, Jeff, you read it. Uh, what did you think of this take on going to the first fashion week in the metaverse and um, the future of fashion in the metaverse? Well, I, I think it did a pretty good job of being, being balanced. I mean, like you said, some of the issues that you know, she faced were obviously you know, her own fault by <laughs> trying to access the metaverse via you know, a 10-year-old MacBook Air. Uh, having said that, I think it's important to point that out because you know, most people don't have a game, an amazing gaming PC. So if we're going to tout, you know, the metaverse is something where you can get billions of people into, clearly we're going to need a lot more gaming PCs. Awesome. Maybe go buy <laughs> NVIDIA or something like that. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's uh, it was a joke, obviously. But, you know, the 
I think that's number one, just saying how, you know, the tech isn't necessarily widely dispersed in order to get into this metaverse. Also, some of the pictures in the article, you know, for people who are watching this and not, you know, listening to this, it's, it's not that impressive. Um, The (laughs) graphics, you know, Decentraland's graphics just aren't very good. It's not, you know, like HD stuff. It's more like Roblox-y kind of like block graphics. It also just looks very sparse. Like there's not a ton of people. It's, um, you know, looks sparsely attended. So obviously that's that's kind of a little bit of a black mark. I think in general, though, I, I love this idea. I think we, we talked about it a couple months back when this was first announced. We were both fairly bullish on this. And I, I like the idea of fashion in the virtual world. I think it's one of those things along with gaming that just like it, they will be parts of the metaverse very clearly. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish on that. And I'd like, hopefully, you know, this this continues and we see more of these and we, you know, continues to, to grow in terms of people and, and interest. I didn't see that many, art, you know, I, besides the fact that we do this podcast and I literally, you know, Google every week articles in the metaverse. I didn't see this pierce kind of the more of the consciousness of the, the mainstream. Like I didn't see on the Today Show or on CNBC or, you know, other outlets like talking about which I'm a little—I would have liked to have seen a little more mainstream coverage. I mean, that—that that piece is an interesting insight, interesting thought. I, I'm maybe not too surprised by that. Like, here, here's my tinfoil hat theory on that one. You know, um, it's like this is in some ways a threat to real fashion weeks, right? Like New York Fashion Week or or Paris fashion week or any, any of the big sort of global fact in the sense that those are pretty like for anyone who's been to a show or like a big show, right. For a big designer at any one of those fashion weeks, it's a pretty closed world, right? For the most part, they're invite only. You either have to be a tremendous customer of the brand or from the industry or a buyer or media from the industry, right? Like it's a very closed off world that just loving fashion and being interesting and in, being interested in fashion. Like, you're never going to be invited to Ellie Sab's, you know, runway show in Paris. That's just not going to happen. Um, and so I love this accessibility argument and I love sort of being able to bring that fashion week experience to potentially millions, billions of other people that um, would never otherwise get that experience. And I think that's special. Um, you know, the author does make a good point that you need a gaming PC now. Having said that, her phone was probably a better, a way better piece of hardware uh, to do this than her 10-year-old MacBook Air um, and probably could have rendered these graphics a lot better. But um, like, it's hard not to be a fan, right? And not to like the fact that what I would consider, like, you know, there's an image here of the Ellie Sab store in Decentraland. Ellie Sab, like, spent tens, like 50 million plus building a store on Madison Avenue in New York, right? This probably cost a fraction of that. Uh, What is the long-term value of a presence like this? Assuming these platforms really take off in a big way. My guess is the ROI here is probably considerably higher, right? If you look at a five or 10 year kind of timeline. Um, And so you have to appreciate that brands that maybe aren't the most tech savvy in the world to begin with have taken a pretty big leap here into a, into the unknown. And, um, and I think long-term it's going to pay off. I, I, I do believe 
I, I think what has to be solved and we started with this and we'll close with this is how do you get here, right? Like what are the on-ramps and how do you make those on-ramps at on one hand accessible, but also high fidelity, right? Because if you look at her photos, this is not, this is not high fidelity, high fashion worthy graphics. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm, I'm less worried about the technology problems. I think solving the adoption problem is the bigger one. And the fact that most of the brands are here says something. Jeff, that wraps up this week's podcast. It was a good, it flew I mean, by. Yeah, action packed. We got action like packed. seven stories in there. <laughs> um, guys, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Make sure to hit that follow subscribe button, whether it's on Spotify or Apple podcast or Google play or stitcher or, you know, literally any of the 50 platforms you can find our podcast on. Um, also go subscribe to our sister podcast, business of esports and meta woman. They're equally great. Um, and, uh, and let us know, send us feedback, reach out to Jeff, reach out to myself, let us know maybe things you want to hear us talk about. Uh, go follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Cohen 23. He's always got interesting takes on, on the business of the metaverse. And, um, And yeah, let us know how you're liking the show and anything you want to hear us talk about. Guys, don't forget the future is fun and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.